0: Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn, and this is episode 279. I got to tell you that this has been a season, a crazy season in this secret house. Uh, holiday season. Everybody says, how were your holidays? Okay, let me tell you, they were a disaster. Let's <laughs> just, they a disaster. Uh, we had plans, right? This is the first holiday season without my dad. We wanted to make it you know, feel as peaceful uh, as possible, right? So we had planned obviously, to have my mom here for uh, Thanksgiving, and we always go to their house for Christmas Eve. We're going to have my mom here for Christmas Day. Problem is, everybody got sick. Uh, right before Thanksgiving, Jordan, my daughter's in first grade, so she's, like, all around the elementary school germs, which, by the way, if you don't have kids, let me tell you that elementary school germs are no joke, <laughs> they are, I don't, they're, they're monstrous germs, uh, but Jordan got sick right before Thanksgiving, then she got better, but Dana, my wife, got sick over Thanksgiving, so Thanksgiving didn't really happen, I made a turkey anyway, because I wasn't sick, um, but we didn't get to have my mom over, but we, we made her some, we made extras, so we obviously brought her leftovers, and then Jordan went back to school the Monday after Thanksgiving, and it was like a week, and she was sick again, And then she was home for like almost a week. And then she got better. And then she got sick again. This was all before Christmas. Got sick again. And she actually got sick the Monday before Christmas. She was supposed to be off from school that Wednesday. So she missed Monday, Tuesday. So her, her Christmas break started very early. And then she got better right before Christmas. But then I got sick. And when I got sick, I got like this wicked high fever, it was like hundred almost hundred and three fever. And like I'm not a guy that does like the man cold thing, but let me tell you something. I was (laughs) I wasn't sure what was gonna happen. I was not feeling good at all. Uh turns out like a nasty sinus infection. Oh Jordan had a pink eye before that. I mean, it's been crazy and so I was sick over Christmas. So we couldn't see my mom again. So our Christmas Eve got pushed back to New Year's Eve, so we celebrated Christmas Eve on New Year's Eve, went to my mom's house Um, she didn't end up coming over our house. Then it was just everything, just nothing went as planned. Nothing went as planned except the turkey. I made the turkey on Thanksgiving. And I remember I said, Dana was sick. I'm like, listen, I just need to make a turkey because I need to feel some sort of normality. Is that a word? Normality? I don't know. Need to feel something has to feel holidayish to me. So I'm making a turkey and I'm going to, even if I have to eat the whole thing myself, I'm going to make this turkey. And, uh, that turned out very good. But anyway, it's just been crazy. It's been crazy. And so now Jordan went back to school yesterday uh, as of recording this. this. is I'm recording this on the 9th. She went back on the 8th. And now there's this wicked storm blowing through the Carolinas. 50-mile-an-hour uh, winds, uh, 5 to 7 inches of rain. What? And it's crazy. So they closed school today. <laughs> so she's home today uh, playing with one of her friends right now. Uh, I don't know. It's just crazy. I don't know what is happening. It's just an insane, insane season. So anyway, that's my three-minute and 20-second tale of woe. Thank you for <laughs> for indulging me. But today we're talking to uh, my friend Michael Camp. Uh, Michael wrote a book called Breaking Bad Faith, exposing myth and violence and popular theology to recover the path of peace. Uh, have you ever been told that you can't ask questions? That I, I was told that you know like when growing up in the church excuse me i have a question about you know why did god kill all the people in the book of numbers and you know, why did he tell joshua to march into this land of seemingly innocent people and murder them all like that doesn't sound very good um you know and like all these different questions what what about like hell you know like you 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 don't you don't believe the right things on earth for eighty years, let's say you live eighty years, let's say for sixty of those years, from twenty to eighty, you you know, your brain can make different decisions. So for sixty years you believe the wrong thing, but then you spend millions and millions and millions of years burning in hell. That doesn't make any sense to me. You know, and then the the answer is always, well, you just have to have faith, right? Like you just gotta believe. Because one day you're gonna go to heaven if you believe the right things, you're going to go to heaven, and then it's all going to make sense, you know? It'll be fine, but right now, this is a test of your faith. You've got to have faith. And so I I always, like, stuff my questions away, right? Uh, but Michael, in his book and in this conversation, we bring some of those questions to the surface, like a big one, like the cross, right? Like, what, what is, what is the cross? If the cross is not about God being angry at sin and killing his son as a result, or sentencing his son to death in our place. Like, what is the point of this barbaric image that we have in the Bible, and that we wear around our necks, and that we have propped up in our churches? What is the point of this, right? We explore all these different things. In the book, he goes obviously much deeper into many more topics, but all that to say, this is a really good book, a really good conversation. I highly recommend that you go and get the book. I'll put the link to it in the show notes. Uh, Also in the show notes, links to my books, Rethinking Everything, Emerging from the Rubble, and also Patreon if you want to support the show and join a virtual community of sorts of people who are asking questions and wondering about things. Uh, You can do that with Patreon. Everybody gets entrance into a Discord chat. And, and, you know, the chat, some days, some, some weeks, it's really hopping. People are asking questions, talking about stuff. Other weeks, it's super, super quiet, uh, but whatever the case may be, there are people in there who who love and care about each other, and everybody's on a similar journey, and it's a great place to, to be and to meet some, some people. So anyway, all the links, all the things in the show notes. Uh, this is episode number 279 with my friend Michael Camp talking about breaking bad faith. Enjoy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, we're sitting down with a brand new guest. His name is Michael Camp. Uh, He's written a wonderful book called Breaking Bad Faith. Subtitle is Exposing Myth and Violence in Popular Theology to Recover the Path of Peace. And so, Michael, welcome to the show. I love the work you're doing, especially in the times that we're in, and I'm grateful for the time you made for us today.
1: Hey, Glenn. Thanks so much for having me on. Um, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Definitely. So before we get into uh, the book, maybe tell us a bit about your
0: yourself, especially for people who are new to you and your work. I know this is not your first book. I know you have a podcast of your own. Uh, so tell us what we need to know about Michael Camp.
1: Oh, sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was. I mean, let's let's do the short version. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was in the evangelical movement for 25 plus years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got into it when I was uh, in my teens. I'll date myself. I went to uh, Jesus Festival in Dallas, Texas in 1972, (laughs) (laughs) and I was only 15 years old. Mm -hmm. And I didn't quote, you know, uh, give my life to Christ at that point. But uh, basically, it was my first introduction to, uh, you know, Jesus rock bands, um, Billy Graham, and you know, the rapture and all this stuff, people were carrying around this book called the late great planet earth Mm -hmm. along with their Bibles. And, uh, and anyways, I got it, um, you know, basically through the influence of my mother and some of the uh, youth group leaders in in a Baptist church, um, you know, I got this into my head that I could not find peace, uh, in my life unless i have accepted jesus and joined the right kind of church and mm. <laughs> and you know in your formative years you know you don't know what to think your parents are into this and you're like so later on in college um i did have some you know personal crisis going on and uh i thought again oh the only answer is you know what these people have been telling me mm-hmm. you know you got to become born again etc so after i had a nervous breakdown i basically Kind of jump jump through the hoops uh, of the the Christian you know how to how to get your life on order hoops for, that evangelicals told me got into intervarsity Christian fellowship <clears throat> at college mm-hmm. and uh, I, I I like to say that I was very sincere I thought I had I discovered the ultimate reality you know a year after or the same year that I g- I got in Bob Dylan <laughs> supposedly was converted through a, mm-hmm. a Vineyard ministry did a few albums on, 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 you know, Christian themes. And I thought, Oh, this is it. I've, I've found everything, you know, this is the answer to everything. (laughs) (laughs) So I ran down to the end of the evangelical swimming pool, Mm -hmm. looked for the highest uh, diving board, climbed it and dove in. I I went, I became a missionary in Africa to reach Muslims. And so I did that for several years off and on going uh, I worked for an aid, a Christian aid agency. I worked for another more traditional Christian, um, uh, ministry in, in, in Africa, Somalia, Kenya, and Malawi were the places that, that I was. And so, um, yeah, I got really involved, uh, but there was all these red flags going on. So, you know, um, and basically, uh, I'll skip to, to, you know, what I'm doing now and we could talk about some of the other things in between, but, um, after deconstructing some really harmful theologies in this movement that I didn't recognize at first, um, I got out, you know, this was probably, you know, 18 years ago I was starting to get out. Mm. Uh, But nowadays, um, I just feel feel like everything is so different. The way to look at the Bible, the way to look at this faith is so different and more liberating Mm -hmm. and not fear-based. Yeah. And so what I'm doing now is I'm trying to help other people. I've got a lot of content on deconstructing religion, evangelicals, evangelicalism, mm-hmm. and rebuilding something. Rebuilding something, not necessarily leaving Jesus, but rebuilding something outside religion, outside the structure of Christianity, if that's what people want. Uh uh, and and really finding something, uh, and I call it a path of peace, and it's really uh, a narrative. I think people completely misunderstood Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> you think? <And> we, can, <laughs> we can get into that, but but that's in my book. And so, yeah, uh, yeah I'm writing, podcasting, and helping people uh, rebuild something after deconstruction.
0: That's so good. I, I think I think that work is so important because there's so many things, and you talk about these things in your book, and we'll talk about them soon, but there's so many things about you know, like growing up in the evangelical world, pieces of my faith, doctrines, theologies, whatever you want to call them, that I just took for granted as well. This is just the way it is. You know, like it's just it is what it is, and that's yeah, it. right.
1: Who who am I? Who are you to who are you to question all right. this stuff? Exactly, it's like laid out for you. This is what the Bible says it's already settled. We've got it figured out exactly. Yeah, you know that's and the I attitude.
0: I think it's so important to poke at those things, and for me. The thing in my life, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, but it all came crashing down for me was when um, my daughter, when she was born, she was in the NICU for a little while. Oh, really? And I never, we literally, she was born and we, I followed the doctors to the NICU and they put her in this tank. Everybody's doing all this stuff. They put all these wires on her. They get her settled. And they say, you can stick your hand in there and you can, you can touch her. I'm like, oh, cool. Right. So I stuck yes. my hand in there and she reached up and she grabbed my finger. And it was like this theological explosion in my head because I grew up, you know, in private Christian school, Bible college, seminary, theology is on my mind all the time. And in that moment, I was like, original sin is bogus. And I was like, God's anger and wrath is bogus. Like all of a sudden, like all these questions started coming to my head. Right. I'm like, all this violence, all this stuff, like there has to be
1: another way. Another way. Exactly. And that's that's really cool. Um, yeah. I often say that uh, it's only when something very emotional or very painful happens in your life that you start to question and start to deconstruct. So that was a very an emotional experience. Yeah. yeah.
0: So what was it for you? Like, what was the thing like you grew up you were in this world and now you wrote this book about exposing myth and violence and popular theology? What what is it? What in your journey shifted to bring you to the point to address these things?
1: Well, it really was a slow gradual process. So mm-hmm. even in the, when I was a missionary, as soon as I got on the mission field, um, within months or six months, I'm like, this doctrine of hell, this doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. I have just grown to love all these Muslims. And yes, supposedly some of them are coming to Christ, very few. And there's, and of course their ancestors, you know, what about them? Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Where, where, where are they in this picture? And I started questioning the whole thing and, but I was quiet about it because I knew that it would rock the boat. So I kind of came up with a, um, an alternate view of the afterlife that was inclusive but i still believed there must be a hell too because after all it's in the bible i can't question the bible right yeah, you know yeah, so yeah. so i it was kind of a hyper uh, pseudo universalism but i didn't share it with very many people at all mm-hmm. and then other things would show up every once in a while until finally uh things came to a head when i was uh in on a mission team in africa and had a very authoritative narcissistic uh condescending uh team leader who was like using you know his claim for spiritual authority to spiritually abuse people mm-hmm. and that started that got went me down took me down a road of like okay I, I got clinically depressed uh it's a long story but you know things started to go south uh then I started to really question things when this painful experience I uh, had to go through and I didn't get very much support at first. The church, you know, there's always some explanation, you know, there's always some way of to explaining away things. Yeah. Uh, but finally, I started deconstructing, and you know, it was probably uh, sexuality, homosexuality. I, I started reading. Uh, I read Stranger of the Gate at the Gate by Mel White. I'm not sure if you are familiar with him. Mm-hmm. He was a ghostwriter for for Billy Graham and many others. He came out as a gay man, mm-hmm. and told his story and it was like wait a minute this doesn't make sense why are we condemning gays then i started looking at the scriptures and then going okay there's that's not you know we're reading into things that aren't there we don't understand the historical cultural context of these passages if we did this is not talking about homosexuality or consenting adults in a relationship you know Mm -hmm. so um Anyways, then there were other things, the end times, uh, there was, the Bible is a huge thing and we could talk about that, but (laughs) starting to see all the contradictions and not, you always see them, but you're not honest about them because you're, because you're told there's a way to harmonize it. And then they tell you the way to harmonize it and you scratch your head and go, well, maybe, I don't know. (laughs) So, yeah. So slowly, uh you know after that experience and and just realizing that hey this is just not adding up there no there were some good things in the movement there were good some good spiritual experiences there were some good things that i learned that i took with me out the door but they were light light luggage and all the the heavy baggage i had to throw away it was mm-hmm. just you know it just added up over and over and over again you find doctrines or beliefs that just don't add up logically emotionally and then you go in there and you find out they don't line up scripturally either and the way we look at the bible doesn't line up um started to do all that and finally uh, you know finally got out you what you, you usually do is you go to a church you have some kind of a crisis. Ah, you know, this is terrible. And then you look for a better church and then you go down the street and then you find the same kind of a thing or a different thing. Yep. <laughs> and, thing. Then you find, and then you go down to another one. I did that several times until finally one day I just walked out. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> so became a done, done, right. with <laughs> done,
0: done with it. So let's talk about, let's talk about the Bible for a minute because I, I noticed this in my journey. um, And it seems like you, you were in a similar, you were in a similar place, but, Like back when I was really deep and maybe beginning my deconstruction, I remember realizing that like, if I'm going to remain a Christian, then I'm going to have to drastically rethink (laughs) what the Bible is. Because like at that time, you know, when I first began deconstructing and definitely when I was deconstructing, even starting publicly, I believed like the Bible was, you know, the, the word of God or the words of God, whatever, like this historical rule book that, you know, it came from the very hand of God to tell me word for word how God has always acted in the world and how God expected me to act in the world. Right. But right. I also believed, like on another hand, that God, especially more so when I started deconstructing, that God is like this loving being full of grace. And yet this book that I called The Words of God and I was reading you know, daily is filled with these stories of God doing absolutely horrendous things. All the while asking me to sign on the dotted lines of what I now realize are some pretty atrocious theologies like eternal conscious torment, you know, penal substitutionary atonement, which we can talk about a little bit later. You know, God occasionally being okay with genocide and telling, you know, people just don't go into these places and kill all these people. And so for me, like deconstruction took me down 10,000 rabbit holes once I started to imagine the Bible being something other. Right. And the word of God, and that got me into a whole lot of trouble, as well.
1: No, no, that does get you in trouble for sure. Was that so, a, was that like similar? similar oh, yeah, part that's of your the journey? same kind of thing that I went through. And yeah. I would say, I mean, that's the most important thing to deconstruct. I think is mm-hmm. how you view the view the Bible. Yeah, and and there was all that. I, I for me, I went through stages. I went through the first stage. I went through is okay. I realize now that. You need to know the historical cultural context of the Bible before you really understand what it's saying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't have that, it's like you're reading this ancient book that's totally foreign to our our time zone, our time period. Yeah. Right. And we just don't understand what's going on. Yeah. So then you when you under when you get that, and when you get that kind of information, you can learn to reinterpret certain passages. Because, oh, now I know what they're talking about, That's right? right? And then the other stage would be when you uh, realize that there's a lot of words, you know, not most of the Bible, but a lot of words that are very significant that are mistranslated mm. in the Bible. And so right. then you realize, oh, there's translation bias going on. Uh, there's, you know, people are really, even though they say, don't, we can't change the word of God, there mm-hmm. they were changing the word of god <laughs> what right. they called the word of god
0: that's right
1: right so you know the original greek uh of the word uh hell that's translated hell does not mean hell mm-hmm. i mean we could all talk about that forever but i mean yep. you know it, it's there's different there's three different words that are translated hell and neither none of them mean hell and they mean metaphors for judgment they mean uh you know something about what's going on in that time period mm-hmm. and they don't talk that's not does not mean in, eternal damnation <laughs> right and then and then eternal punishment is mistranslated it should be something more like the rehabilitation of the age or something like that yeah. and so you you see all these things that are mistranslated but you still believe the whole bible is infallible okay you just think oh we got some mistranslations wrong we got some misinterpretations wrong and then you come To the next stage, which is what you're talking about, you know, what about all these violent narratives in the Old Testament, right? What about these crazy things God telling the Israelites, oh, leave no survivors, kill everyone, men, women, noncombatants, children, the unborn, this God is not even pro-life, you know, kill everything and that's supposed to be god and that's supposed to harmonize with the father of the Je- the father god that jesus spoke about it, you know that's when you really go well, this does not make any sense yeah. but you have to allow yeah. yourself you have to give yourself permission to think outside the box and it's yeah. really hard to do that because yeah. it's been ingrained in us of course in, in the bible actually jesus is uh, jesus is the word of god not the bible right, right. Right. Jesus is the word. It doesn't, and that just means the the word of God just means the rationality or the reasons, the reason of God, how he thinks, you know, Mm -hmm. and, you know, uh, and so there's so many things that number one, aren't even right, even if you believed in infallibility. Mm -hmm. And then there's all these other things that are just out to lunch, like trying to harmonize with Jesus. So the, the thing that really helped me was realizing You know, actually, Jesus didn't even believe in the infallibility of the Bible. (laughs) I go into this in my book. I talk about this in my book, and it's like giving a lot of examples and everything. And it's like, if you study, if you deconstruct how Jesus used the Bible, what he quoted, the fact that he actually added some things and subtracted other things, right? And you understand the, the context of that time period. The Jewish people were debating the Bible uh, all the time, and they didn't even come up with a definitive list, what we call a canon, until like, I don't know, the second century or something, even after Jesus. Because, you know, so that's why, you know, you might have heard that uh, even evangelicals will admit, oh, the Sadducees only believed in the Torah, you know, they didn't believe in the rest of the scriptures, or they didn't, you know, take them as seriously. And, that's because there was a debate about what was scripture and what wasn't. And then the Essenes had their own set of scriptures. Yeah, And then um, the the uh, Septuagint had 14 books. The uh, Septuagint, the Greek translation of, of the scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, had 14 books that never made it into our Bibles. But yeah. the early Christians and uh, the Jewish people of that time you know they said oh yeah that th- those could be scripture yeah sure you know yeah. so and then you realize oh there was this is just a debate and we need to we need to look at this book historically uh, excuse me as a as a um as any other history book mm-hmm. right here's a people who's claiming to have revelation right and let's look at it like any book of ancient history and decide for ourselves what we think is true and what we think is not and what lines up if we want to if we want to keep the teaching teachings of jesus what lines up with his teachings and he was deconstructing the torah and even the prophets were deconstructing the torah the 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 prophets critique the torah they critique the sacrificial system you know why do we need sacrifices you don't need (laughs) i and even (laughs) jeremiah says i didn't even give you those commands yeah. Uh and there's a mistranslated word in there but so so anyways when you realize that then you can kind of get out of that that um um you know that pull that you have to think of the bible a certain way and because it it, it gives you, it may, it's very traumatic yeah. to get out of that box but once you get out of it it's like oh now it makes more sense okay yeah. not that everything in the bible is true but that I like to say It's a human book. Yeah. And I think we can see some of God's fingerprints on it, but it's a human book. Yeah. It's not infallible.
0: Yeah. That's right. I think it's really what I find really hard these days is it's hard to have a conversation with people who are still in that box because it happens a lot, like on Facebook or, you know, I'll get into a discussion with somebody maybe I went to seminary with and they'll be throwing all these verses at me like, well, it says this, it says this, it says this. I, I know there was like <laughs> I I read the same systematic theology books that you did when we were in school together. Right, like right, I, right. I realized that, but I think we see the Bible in like fundamentally different ways. And the person would be like, "Well, what do you mean?" Like, "Well, you're seeing it, which I can honor. I can honor the way you see it. Like you see it as the Word of God. Like I, I was there. I, I've been there. I get it. You, know, yes. you see it as right, right. infallible. It's inerrant. All these different things. And you're using it. You're discussing it with me in that way. I said, but I don't see it that way anymore. And they said, well, What do you mean? I said, Well, I see it." as this collection of stories that people have been telling for thousands of years, as they've tried to walk through this, you know, very visible life with a very invisible God. And they're writing these stories and they're reflecting on what this is like, and they're trying to understand what this human journey is. And that's what these stories are. I said, so I think until if we are going to see the Bible in two different ways, we can toss things back and forth all day long, but I don't think we're ever really going to come to an understanding unless we can really respect each other where we're coming from. And I right, think that, that's, that just yeah. blows people's minds because people from that world is the world I came from are not often willing to go there because that's it's, cr- you don't
1: think the Bible is this you're
0: wrong and you're a heretic. And that's,
1: yeah, it. it's an all or nothing black and white way of thinking of the Bible. Everything has to be true. And if you doubt right. any one word, <laughs> you are a heretic or that's something. Right. That's right. right. So, that's right. yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy. Um, people uh are are caught in this web uh but you know like with if you if you think about it like uh you know why are we why do we feel obligated mm-hmm. to do this and the other the other thing that opens up their eyes is your when you just when you study how the bible was compiled yeah and you realize that i mean the earliest followers of jesus did not have uh you know a sets um volume of scriptures for hundreds of years yeah that's right you know and we're and and people never think about that you know how do they survive (laughs) without the bible you're not supposed to ask that question michael (laughs) right so you know it's like okay we had the oral tradition we talked about jesus's teachings Uh, we got a hey we got just someone just handed us a letter from paul yeah. It's like what the heck Paul is Paul talking about here? Well, okay. Well, he had some good things in there. We'll look we'll we'll hang on to that. Yeah. And you know, and they, all these scriptures started uh, slowly emerging and over the over centuries and um you he, go to one location and the, and they go, "What are you guys reading?" and they've got one list and you go to another location and they have a uh uh another list. Yep. And there was some overlap. The Gospels, for for the most part, were accepted, but they weren't mandatory. Mm-hmm. So, like, the Eastern Church, they didn't like um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke as much as they liked John. So they yeah. just focused on John. John was their guy, yeah. And then the Western Church didn't like John because the Gnostics were using John. So they just focused on the synoptic Gospels, you know. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, what church would do that? You know, it's like, okay, uh, we only read we don't read Matthew, Mark, and Luke very much at all, if yeah. if at all. <laughs> yeah. Right. But that's what they were doing, you know. Yeah. So, I think
0: once you dig into that stuff, you can't help but ask questions. Like if right. you're gonna be at least interested in what it is you believe in and where it came from, you have to ask some questions about the origins of this book. And especially like eye opening for me was uh Bart Ehrman's book lost christianities plural christianity yes i was like when i first got the book i'm like what is this multiple christianities you know so i I started reading i'm like holy smokes like i never thought about this and how diverse you know christianity was in those early centuries he talks about how orthodoxy was one of the many paths and it happens to be the path that won the battle for x amount of reasons but all these other paths had their own texts and they were legitimate followers of Jesus, you know, so they believed and they followed in their own different ways. But like you said, all these things have been lost in this very narrow way has pushed forward to the future and kind of eradicated all these other ones. And once I started to really think about that and like the implications of that, I'm like, wow, like I can call myself a Christian still, even if I don't believe all of these certain things right. about the Bible and these pieces right. of theology. And I felt so much freedom in that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
1: that's true. I think, yeah, that's one thing we don't we don't understand. I think history is the key, because you know, um, Bart Ehrman does a great job of laying that out. Yeah, and but it th- this change uh, happened very slowly. Uh, R- Robin Myers calls it the Great Reversal, mm-hmm. because it really came to a head when the when the church was Romanized. Constantine became you know, supposedly became a Christian, but really didn't mm-hmm. and started to make everything um, uh, structured just a, a certain way. He didn't like to have, the Romans did not like to have all these different things that you're just describing. Right. Oh, we got to, we got to make this all one. You can't,
0: run, you can't run an empire. If no, we can't, we can't, we <laughs>
1: can't use religion to... <laughs> To manipulate people if they all got a different way of looking at it. Come right. on. You know? So let's get everyone on the same page. Let's get one statement of faith. Let's get one set of scriptures. Let's get yeah. all this stuff. Let's get one way to do the 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 church and all this stuff. And that's what they did. Yeah. But until then, like you said, there was all kinds of different things. And I think the thing that kept them together was was the love ethic. Um uh there were there's just there are there are some really cool examples of the earliest church um rodney stark has a book called cities of god and he talks about Mm -hmm. how in the cities were just like really dirty you know terrible places that people the world view was kind of like if you're poor you know just your relatives are the only ones are going to help you out Mm -hmm. (laughs) and they're poor too so (laughs) and but the christians started helping the poor and taking that seriously and you know caring for the sick and the marginalized, and that that attracted a lot of people. Like, oh wow, this is a new way of looking at life, and and you know, at the same time, well, you know, the rich and the poor can actually get together and and have fellowship and so forth. So yeah. these were all radical ideas, but they might have had a whole different way, you know, theology-wise. Who knows what they were thinking? You know, yeah, yeah. all different scriptures, all different some kinds of different theologies, yeah, et cetera.
0: All right, so your book um, addresses uh, there's a lot of things in this book that we could we could travel down and talk about. We could do multiple episodes here. Yeah, but one of my one of my favorite things that you do is you you have these twelve myths, right, and right. You know, regarding violence and things like that, and what what we're going to call bad faith and these twelve myths that you know a lot of Christians align with, and I myself, and obviously you as well, you know, you still align with them as well. Um, without even giving them a second thought. And these beliefs impact the way that we live our lives and therefore they impact the way that we run our homes and the way we run our societies and our cultures and ultimately our world. And so I'd love to go through all of the myths, but obviously we don't have time for that. But the one I would love to pick your brain about a little bit, because I think our listeners wrestle with this a lot because it's been so hammered into their heads um, growing up is penal substitutionary atonement theory and it is a theory listeners mind you it's 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 a theory it's an idea Uh, but i think a lot of people assume well this is just what the bible teaches and even if i have questions about it that's what i was told growing up if i had a question about this like this doesn't make sense but you just have to have faith you just have to believe and you'll you'll understand one day like when you get to heaven god will explain it to you and you'll know everything and but for now (laughs) you just got to kind of believe it so can you take us into this myth a little bit maybe talk to us about uh, what it is where it came from, and help us understand some of the issues that maybe come with this piece of theology that we often don't really think about, and maybe what it would look like to begin to rethink it in right. light of this path of peace that we're talking about. Right.
1: Okay. Yeah, that's a great question. That was, incident, incidentally, that was the hardest thing for me to deconstruct. Yeah. It took me years. Yeah. Because of, there's a saying that rings in your ears, Jesus died for our sins. Yes. And we and we' we're, we're trained to interpret that to mean Jesus was a substitute yep. for our sins and took the punishment that we deserve <laughs> on the cross. and only then could Jesus could God forgive us right God couldn't forgive us without Jesus. So God can't just forget, you know, God can't forgive people just because he forgives people. Mm-hmm. Someone has to be tortured and murdered. On on, you know, the the probably the worst execution method that humankind came up with, you know, yeah. the cross. Yeah. And then only then can can Jesus forgive. So uh we're not taught to think that way, right? So I think the first place just that, that helped me was when I realized that actually the sacrificial system Jesus was critiquing, the prophets were critiquing. Yeah. And the sacrificial system is really kind of crazy. And it's actually, uh, Rene Girard did a lot of work with this. Um, he's a social scientist. Do you know, are you familiar with him? I've heard it. Yeah, I've read yeah. it a little bit. But um, anyways, you know, in ancient cultures, you know, sacrificial, violent sacrificial religion is very common. You know, something happens uh, that's a problem in society. You, escape, you scapegoat someone and, and you kill them. Uh, you you know call them guilty of something and then you know the gods are happy and uh we can have we have have harmony again and And all the problems on them yeah right yeah (laughs) right put all the problems on them right and then right so um but 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 jesus you know he said you know i i don't you know god says i desire mercy not sacrifice Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. and the prophets were all over the place critiquing the sacrificial system so when you realize that you go okay all right, if that's true, then we can't look at the cross through that lens of the old of the old testament sacrificial system. That doesn't make any sense. Right. Here is all these people are critiquing it, and now we're taking that same lens and we're putting it on the cross, like, oh yeah, you know, God had it needs a sacrifice in order to forgive sins. Right. So that's the first thing. Hmm. And then and then the other thing is the history of the actual theory that we we call the penal substitutionary atonement um it didn't even it didn't even come into being Mm -hmm. until anselm an archbishop somewhere in the middle ages i think it was the i always get the century wrong (laughs) 11th (laughs) or 12th century somewhere in there right yeah somewhere in there (laughs) came up with a satisfaction theory of atonement that that jesus was the the that because Jesus went to the cross, that satisfied God's, you know, wrath, and okay, now He can forgive. So it was that it was an idea, but He didn't have the substitute part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, He did have the He did have the substitute part of it. He didn't have the penal part of it. He didn't have mm-hmm. this thing. Oh, this was a punishment that we deserved, you know. So then later on, in the in the Reformation, the Protestant reformers, particularly John Calvin, came up with the the you know developed it to the point where. We can call it the penal substitutionary atonement theory. Mm. Uh, that, you know, it's a punishment that Jesus took because we deserve that punishment. We deserve to be tortured and murdered. And of course, mm. we deserve to go to hell. Mm. <laughs> right. Unless this sacrifice is made. Right. So, um, yeah, that's the other thing is that this was, you know, this was like, Thousand over a thousand years after Christ, someone came up with these ideas, and yeah. we we think they're the original ideas. I mean, it's yeah. just absurd, right? Yeah. And then there were other atonement theories too. And um what really amazes me, and this is the part that really I had the hardest time overcoming, was like, well, then what does the cross mean? You know, why uh-huh. did it happen? And you're trying to wrestle with it, right? and i think rené girard really does a good job of helping us uh understand that because uh you know when you look at when you look at the ancient trajectory of sacrifice in history mm-hmm. you, he says well actually uh the the cross as 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 put out in the gospels we don't see it because we're biased we've been taught otherwise but him being you know, historian just looking at, okay, I'm gonna take this at face value here and here and compare it to the ancient sacrifice, and you go, oh, actually the gospel is is inverting the view of sacrifice from the ancient way of looking at it. It's basically mm-hmm. saying, you you know, you could actually crucify this representative of God who says we should have universal love for everyone and and God is naturally forgiving. Right. And you could crucify him and God will still forgive you.
0: Yeah.
1: And because that's what Jesus said. And Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He didn't say, Father, forgive them now that I've taken the punishment that they deserve. Mm. <laughs> right? So, so it's like, oh, okay, maybe that's the meaning of the cross. You know, yeah. let's explore that, you know. And I'm still going down that path, trying to figure out okay, what are the ramifications of that? Right. Yeah. You know, if that's really the way to look at it. So but we know for sure it the way to look at it is not you know the substitutionary atonement way yeah. because that's just foreign and 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 some people say the the early church didn't view it that way i mean they had these other theories a ransom theory and uh, which was is a crazy theory that mm-hmm. it was a ransom to the devil or something that just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but there's an immoral example of theory that actually makes sense that that's mm. probably true. He uses an example that when you stand up to corruption and violence, you have to do it nonviolently. Then that's what happens to you, right? Yeah. But you still forgive and you still offer, you know, mercy. So it 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 just. The history is the key, and also realizing that it's okay to, to critique the sacrificial system, because that's what the prophets did, and that's what Jesus did.
0: Yeah, that's so important. I, I feel like that was one of the big ones for me, too, because of that question about the cross. You know, like, I I just had this conversation the other day with somebody. I said, I can remember, like, even in, like, our Good Friday services at church, you know, we would have this big cross up in the front of the sanctuary and we would end the service by we'd have to write like our sin down on a card and literally go up to the front with a nail and a hammer Michael and nail the sin to the cross and all you would hear the sanctuary is dead quiet just this constant banging as literally hundreds of people are nailing this thing to the cross so in my mind like that's that's what the cross is like it's my sin being nailed to the cross if I don't believe that I still hold on to my sin and that sin needs to be punished and I have to go to hell. And so like, that uh, was so hard to weed all of that theology out. Right but Now I'm at this point where this has got me in a lot of trouble online is that I I've said, like, I just don't, I don't care about the atonement anymore. Take all your theories, take all your ideas. Like I just don't right. see the right. need to have it anymore. And I actually had a professor from seminary storm into my DMS ready to like revoke my Christianity card, you know, because like, how could you right. not believe in the, you know, in right. atonement? like, that's a ridiculous thing. There's so many yeah. different theories, blah, blah, blah. I was like, I just don't really see the need for it anymore. And like, well, you no, know, well, what about the cross? Like, what is the cross for then? Right. Atonement. I said, well, I said, when I look at the cross and I see Jesus, I see his response to his murderers. Mm-hmm. I think I'm supposed to see myself. And in some way, remember who I am. Remember that just like Christ, I can respond to even the most horrendous acts of hate with some amount, even if it's a small amount of love and grace and forgiveness that I don't have to pull myself from the cross and slaughter my enemies that I can offer. I can offer love and grace and I can trust that that love and that grace is going to be the very thing that's going to bring new life into my situation into my life I I think that sounds good point of the cross I said I just and I don't see how that's not biblical you know and we went back and forth on things I said I just don't see the need to have this angry God who's slaughtering his son so that I don't have to go to hell I said I, I feel like that's just not Jesus like at all I said but I feel like this other point of view is and I said that's not not like I came up with that out of thin air I said there's the Valentinian Christians, going back to, like to the Gnostics, right. I said they had this idea that the cross was to wake awaken us from our forgetfulness, to awaken mm-hmm. us from this idea that we have forgotten the divine spark within us, and that the whole work of Christ on the cross is to kind of awaken us to that. I might have that terminology wrong, but that's like the broad idea. I said, so these ideas have been floating around for a long time. I said, I feel like they've just been hidden, and I think it's kind of cool to go and discover them and apply them to our modern day theologies.
1: No, that's a good explanation. I like that. I kind of, I I mean, what when you described it, it's, it lines up with what I just said, right? Yeah, you know, it's, there's, yeah, some, yeah. there's some, there's some, no, that's why we have to explore it more It's like, well, okay, what are the ramifications? And you just said one that I thought was, that I think is a very beautiful thought. So yeah, that's, that's absolutely true. I mean, uh, when we get our heads out of that mindset, we start to, we can look at it a di- in a different way. Um, and and you know you talk about those people going up, this this is a really harmful. I mean, going up and nailing their their cards to the cross. This is a very harmful uh, doctrine because yeah. it makes you think, okay, I am a piece of crap. Because it also it's linked to the original depravity myth that I go into the book too. Yeah. That you know we're we're really like you said, you know your 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 little daughter you know, grabbed your finger and you're like, well, how can this person be, you know, depraved person, you know, just, and then when you see your, your child grow up, yeah, they're immature, right? Yeah. Yep. That's the problem. We're immature, right? Yep. We need to grow up spiritually and physically. So well, that doesn't mean we're totally depraved people Right, deserve to go to hell right. and, and, and only if someone's tortured will and murdered will we be forgiven and only if we accept that you know it's just crazy yeah. so you 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 get into that you realize uh this is just a warped way of thinking and it can really hurt people because they look down on themselves they can't trust themselves yeah. they're one you know you feel kind of weird like oh man did i you know did my sins you know cause jesus to be tortured or yeah. you know all these thoughts go through your mind you know it's like you know and that's really harmful theology.
0: Yeah, it really is. I remember when, uh, right after the NICU experience for me, I was in, I was in church and we were, I was obviously rethinking all the different things and I was sitting in the back and we had our baby and somebody else's baby was crying and they were an infant as well. And somebody made the comment like, oh, there's the original sin, you know? And I was like, I like, no, I was like, "There's just a hungry baby, <laughs> just a baby <laughs> that just wants to eat, right?" But <laughs> it's just that idea that, like, well, there's a there's a screaming child that's not getting what it wants or whatever, and that's that's original, and, and that's supposed to be said, right? Yeah, and yeah. like Jesus didn't cry when he was an infant, obviously, because he oh was perfect, right, you know, like that yes, kind of right. Yeah, and I'm just oh like, no, gosh. like the baby is just hungry, or the baby's that's... just got gas, and the baby needs to be
1: burped, or whatever it is, like the baby's
0: uncomfortable, yeah. like leave the baby right. alone.
1: Uh, that yeah, that's re- and that's part of the destructive theology. You start thinking like that. Now another one, another example I'll give you is when I was in a particular charismatic church in Southern California, they were really into spanking. You know, yes. yeah, spanking your kids. So we started doing that. Now I, I regret it. I had to go back to my kids and sorry, I spanked you, man. <laughs> I was really, you know. And so they, you know, I, I we we did it. But mm-hmm. we didn't do it that much. I, we I started meeting people who did it so much. It was this one couple. We went over to their house. It was eleven o'clock in the morning, and one of the kids started acting up. We were standing outside, and sh- and she's like, "Oh yeah," uh, and the husband, you know, whoever there's husband, Bob, has to go, has to discipline him again, spank him again, and and I'm like, and then she says. And he's had a rough morning. This is like the fourth, fifth time that oh, he's gotten it this morning. And it was wow. only 11 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and I, and even me as a conservative Christian yeah. who believed in spanking went, don't you think that's going a little too, too far? Oh, he's strong willed. We've got to spank that strong will out of him. Right. right. It was just right. like, give me a break, man. It's yeah. just, it was just sick. And I, I didn't. You know, at the time that was a red flag, but you know sure. some of these things you don't you don't really act on until years later. You yeah,
0: know, I didn't have the the words to put on it at that point. Right. Yeah. All right. So, last question for you: weeding weeding the violence out of our theology, uh, replacing it with this more peaceful path, um, is a huge undertaking, as we talked about, especially for those of us who grew up in that evangelical world. Uh, but not only do you have to overhaul pieces of your theology, but and what you believe about God but oftentimes that overall haul comes with an overhaul of relationships as well because a lot of people in our lives, whether they be family, maybe friends, there's still church people maybe we're still in like you know churches that have a foot in that door it's it's you you lose some key relationships some key relationships get a little bit rocky um, things get a little bit difficult. Uh, what is your advice to that person who's in that situation right now because we have a lot of listeners who, are new to the deconstruction path, or they're right. kind of just getting into it, and they're asking questions. They're getting courageous to kind of voice those things, but they're very quickly getting shut down from other people. That you just have to have faith. Don't ask those questions. Blah 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 blah. Uh, what's your advice to the to those kinds of people?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, the first thing I would say is that don't stop asking questions. Don't stop if you have doubts. Follow those doubts mm-hmm. and do reading, do research, I, I study history, find good books. Oh, I happen to happen one here right now. No, there it is. <laughs> Plug it. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, find uh, some content that can help you sort through these questions and come up with different ways to looking at things, just like we're talking about here, and stick with it because it's really worthwhile. Even though it's even though it's very painful sometimes and and difficult it's very rewarding it's extremely rewarding it's just it's liberating and so for if you're right in the middle of a a situation where you don't feel like it's liberating just just encourage you that stick with it it will become more liberating for you the other thing is that if you're around a lot of people who just shut down any kind of dialogue that you have like for example well after i left the church um I stayed in a Bible study, but I decided to be honest in that Bible study, and I started bringing up my questions and some of the things I've discovered openly in the Bible study. Oh, and people were like, "Oh, don't bring up that stuff. You're rocking the boat. You know, you're you know, you need counseling, and you should talk to the pastor. You know, you're just." you know, coming up back in line, Michael. (laughs) Yeah. 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 There's other, there's other Christian theologians that disagree with that. And you're just coming up with, you know, hogwash. And so you get all this pushback. And so you, you, at some point you have to decide you have to get out of that environment. At least part of you has to get out of that environment and find people who, who support your, your journey of questioning and looking at other ways of, of, of looking at these doctrines yeah. otherwise it'll just drive you crazy so you kind of and and if you can't if you feel like you can't leave yet well back off you know don't be in it so much but find other people that you can talk to and then finally once it gets really bad i mean if you're in a spiritually abusive uh situation you got to get out i mean yeah. you just can't force yourself to stay in that situation. Yeah. So uh, if people harassing you so much, or they put you on a church discipline because you're questioning things or whatever, that's the time to leave, you know? And so, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a difficult process, but it's rewarding in the long run. And even in the short run, it just, you find times when you go, Oh, wow. I just, I think I just kind of overcame something right there. Yeah. And it's a very, uh, wonderful experience
0: yeah i think those aha moments tend to make
1: yeah make it right. more
0: worth it yeah
1: right yeah and then the other thing i would say is that um i still have fundamentalist family mm-hmm. and, and some friends and um i've just i i just at some point you have to draw boundaries if you're if 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 being with them triggers something right and if you can, uh, one of those boundaries can be, you know, I don't want to talk about that. We disagree. You know, like you just said a little exam- perfect example. You gave your, your part and the other person said, oh, I don't think you're a Christian anymore or whatever. And you say, if you want to maintain a relationship with that person, you just have to say, hey, let's just agree to disagree and not bring, you know, not talk about that. Because we always seem to argue or we always seem to, you know, get all bent out of shape, right? So you can ma- you can you can say draw that boundary and still maintain a relationship with someone yeah. and still i well, what helped me is, is i just decided you know what i'm just going to love people cuz they're human beings i used to be like that i was they're brainwashed i think i was like that i understand why they're like that so i just accept them the way they are and i still love them but yeah. i'll draw boundaries if if things are getting out of hand if they're like uh um they're um You know harassing me then i'll have to draw boundaries
0: yeah i think uh alexander shia talks about how you know everybody's welcome to the table all the time regardless of their ideas and their views everybody's welcome here the only time someone's not welcome is when they're going to insist that they're right everyone else is wrong and therefore everybody else who is wrong is evil or misguided or going to hell or whatever but you're welcome to come to the table and share your ideas Right. And everybody else is going to share their ideas too, And right. that's, that's that's what makes it, uh, you know, that's what makes it a community,
1: right? So good.
0: All right, Michael, we're just about out of time, but this has been a ton of fun. Uh, thank you for making time for me, and I think we could probably do this again because we have more things to discuss. I'm sure. Yeah, that
1: would be great. I'd love to come back on sometime. Yeah, for sure.
0: And where can people go to connect? Yeah, with go you to your uh,
1: Amazon to find Breaking Bad Faith. Yep. And my my website is spiritualbrewpub.com you find the podcast my other books a workshop a deconstruction workshop and a support group so awesome. and and videos as well so my very youtube channel yep very good i'll put the links in the show notes and we'll do it again hey great glenn Thanks, great to friend. meet you and talk with you